Hello everyone, happy Resurrection Sunday. I am so glad that you guys are tuning in because today that's exactly what we're gonna be talking about, about the resurrection of Jesus. So stay tuned. Lord, we thank you, we praise you that your presence and your anointing is filling the room where people are. We thank you, Father, that they are opening their spirits to be able to receive the word from you this morning. We thank you, Father, that we have open hearts, open ears, that we are in tune with your spirit, Lord God. We just thank you that your anointing, your healing power is flowing through the screen. We thank you that it's not my words, but it's your words. It's your power flowing through them, Father. So we thank you. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be talking about the resurrection this morning. And this is such an important day for us as believers, those who have faith. Because without the resurrection of Christ, we don't have faith. We don't have anything to base our belief off of. So we're going to get in depth today on what Jesus went through, why it's important to us, and how we can share that with others around us. We're going to start out in 1 Peter 18. So when you're there, say amen. Let me know that you guys are following along. It says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So think about this for just a second. Our redemption is not by something that's corruptible. It's by what? The precious blood of Christ. Well, I looked up the word precious. Y'all know I like to look things up and really get in depth on what does something actually mean. The word precious, I looked it up in the Strong's Concordance, and it means valuable, costly, honored, esteemed, treasures. Something that we consider precious, we consider valuable. Well, Matthew 6, 21 also tells us, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure this morning? I want you guys to really think about this. I want you to evaluate where you're at, what goes through your mind, what you base your belief system on, and say, where is my treasure? Because if we don't determine where our value and where our treasure is, it's going to be hard for us to determine where our heart is. And we know that God's always looking at the heart. He's looking at the inward. He's not looking at the outward appearance because we can all put on this facade of, oh, I'm good. I'm, you know, this or that. And on the inside, it's completely different. Things may be falling apart. You may have doubt. There may be fear. So we've got to pinpoint what we value. What are we basing what we do off of? And then in turn and finding out the treasure, we find out the value. We find out where our heart 
is. Now, why is this so important? And I know this is supposed to be a Resurrection Sunday message, and it is, so stick with me, because it all ties into value. Matthew just told us that where our treasure is. So treasure, when you look that word up, it means a deposit, a place which good and precious things are collected and laid up. Treasury, storehouse. What we value is what we deposit inside of us. Think about that. How much value do we place on the world, on our bank account, on our spouse, our friends, our family, on social media? What has more value in our life. And I know we all would love to say that, you know, Jesus, his word has more value. But we find out when the enemy attacks what we have our foundation on. Do we have a firm foundation in the word of God to where if sickness attacks our body, if we get a bad report that the first thing that comes out of our mouth is he took stripes on his back for my healing. I believe I receive I'm healed. Or do we take that report and say, oh my gosh, I only have this much time to live. Or how is this going to affect this person? I'm not going to be able to do this anymore because of a handicap or because of a disability. Or do we look at our finances that way and think, oh my gosh, we only have this much money coming in this month and we need this much money to go out to be able to cover us, to be able to keep everything that we have. Everything in life comes with a choice, comes with a decision, comes with us relying on something. And we can either rely on the word of God or we can rely on ourselves. We can rely on man. And God wants us to remember that he is our source. He is our supply. He wants to give us a future and a hope. And understanding that in a whole new way to where we put so much value on that, that no matter what everything else looks like in the natural, we are not going to waver. We're not going to get distracted. We're not going to fall off because we believe God's word is truth. Therefore, we stand and we believe and we receive. Now, I also want to point out in this because it talks about depositing. Well, we can deposit things in ourselves all the time. Things we listen to, things we see, just like we were talking about. If you get a bad report, if you look at your bank account and it's not looking so great that week or that month, and we can base so much off of it and it can become our treasure, that depositing point of what we're putting on the inside of us. And the reason it's so important is because if we read a couple verses up in Matthew, it tells us in verse 19, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Then it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what is he saying here? Where are you laying up your treasure? For one, what is your treasure? 
And then where are you storing that treasure? Because here it tells us if we are taking something valuable and we are placing it in the wrong place, what will happen? It says the thief will break in and still. The enemy is always looking for an easy target. John 10, 10 tells us that the thief comes to what? Still kill and destroy. So if he has an easy target, if he knows, oh, they've got God's word, you know, just as a every now and then they think it'll work or it's more of a wishful thing. It's not a firm foundation. They don't have their roots in there. Yeah, they heard it and they believe it right at this moment. But what can I do to get them to doubt? to get them to fear, to get them to question if God's word is real or not. This is how the enemy comes in. He comes in what? To steal first. He's trying to steal the word of God away from you, away from me, because he knows if we get the word of God down on the inside of it, if we deposit that in us, it becomes a treasure that we store in our heart. And what does the word tell us? Out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. Well, this mouth is a powerful thing because it creates death or it creates life. It is made to produce results in your life, whether good or bad. It goes both ways, but it's a matter of what's on the inside. We recently got a new dog. Um, She's a blue healer, Catahoula mix, and she is very wild right now, very energetic, high energy, just runs all over the place. And I can tell you that from her standpoint, she does not understand the value of a precious jewel. Everything to her is a chew toy. If I have expensive jewelry laying on the floor to her, that's a toy. And she is about to rip it to pieces, go and hide it, bury it, do something crazy with it. And it's not going to be in any good condition anymore after she gets a hold of it. I can sit the dog down and say, hey, this is something that's valuable. This is precious. We do not chew it. This is not what we do with this. She may sit there and stare at me even wag her tail and look like she's agreeing with me. But if I leave that on the ground again, she's going to do the same thing. She's going to grab it, chew it, tear it up, and it will be no good anymore. Why is this? She doesn't understand value. Recently, I was listening to Rick Renner and he was talking about value of the cross and how in our society today, we have taken the cross, we've dressed it up, made it look so pretty and beautiful. We wear it on us as a fashion statement. We display it in our houses. And is there anything wrong with this? No, it's a good reminder that the cross is there and what it was. But the problem is when we take the cross and how horrible it really was, We can devalue what took place on the cross instead of remembering the price that was paid for you and I. So what price was paid for us? Well, we're going to go to Isaiah 53, verse 5. It says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Jesus was beaten and bruised for our sins, a 
punishment that he didn't even deserve for things that he never did. This punishment wasn't just a, oh, you're going to sit in time out or, oh, you know, you're going to get this small little punishment. It was a punishment like no one had ever seen before. Yes, people were crucified, but this goes beyond all other crucifixions, all other pain that was put on a natural man. Why? Because when Jesus took stripes on his back, he took it for your healing. When he hung on that cross, he took all the sin of the world on himself. His physical body was going through pain and agony. But on top of all of that, he was taking the weight and all of the sins of the world upon him as well. In John 19, 1, it tells us, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Jesus was beaten. He was whipped. He was tormented. And not only that, they placed this crown of thorns on his head. Not just these little tiny rose thorns. If you picked a rose bush before and you got pricked by it, these thorns were much bigger. And not only that, they put them in his head to where it went so deep inside it would have touched his skull. They didn't just lightly place it on his head. They made sure it was down deep inside. This was meant to torment, to cause a lot of pain, not just, oh, we'll take it easy on you. These people did not like Jesus. They didn't like him so much that when asked, do you want me to free Jesus or Barabbas, which was a murderer, they said, free the murderer. And that's exactly what happened. They freed a murderer instead of Jesus, an innocent man. Then after he went through all that, they made him carry his cross. So he's been beaten. He's got these open wounds. He's not even recognizable as a man. And now he's having to carry this cross, not just in a straight path. He's going up to Golgotha, the place of the school. The cross wasn't something that was smooth and polished. It was rough. So Jesus has these open wounds on his back, on his body. And as they place him on the cross, it's now rubbing up against this rough wood. And if that doesn't sound bad enough, they took nails. And these are not like these little tiny nails that you use to hang a picture on the wall. These were about five inch iron nails that they placed into Jesus. We say hands, it probably was more his wrist and in his feet. When I was listening to Rick Renner talk about this, he was saying they would have more than likely placed it into his wrist over right here in the palm of his hand because your wrist would have been able to hold more of the weight versus if it was in your hand, it could have pulled the nail right out. So they've placed these nails into Jesus' body. The cross is right now on the ground because they've nailed him in. They have to take these ropes, wrap them around the cross, 
and pull it up. A lot of times we forget is there's this hole in the ground to where when they pull the cross up, it has to lodge into this hole in the ground to lock it into place. Well, as that's happening, their force that would go down into that would have put so much weight and pressure, it would have jolted his body. So think about that for a second. If you have nails in your body, that's what's holding you up. And now you have all of that pressure applied on you. Can you imagine the severe pain that just went right through his body? See, we can devalue this part of how horrible this really was, how painful this situation was that Jesus went through. But the significance of what he went through for us is where we find joy because he loved us so much that he went through that for us. In doing studies on this as well, I was listening and they were saying how the pressure of having your arms stretched out on the cross, hanging there for periods of time, would have eventually pulled their shoulders, their arms out of socket. And I didn't even realize everything that would have taken place because they're hanging down, but hanging down in that particular way would have caused their airway to get blocked where they couldn't catch their breath. So they would have to push up with their feet, with the nails in there to catch a breath again and then they would fall back down. So it's a continual process of getting that breath and going back down again, getting that breath and going back down again. Eventually what would happen is after the arms come out of socket, then your elbows, your wrist, and to a point to where they aren't able to push up anymore. And if they aren't able to do that, slowly but surely their lungs would start to fill with fluid, causing everything to shut down and leading to death. I want to show you the scriptures talking about everything that we just said. It's in John 19 verse 17. It says, and he bearing his cross went out to a place called the place of the school, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him. One on either side, and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate, who wrote a title, and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, for all of them to be able to read what was above his cross. After Jesus died, they would normally break their legs to make sure that they really were dead and they weren't able to push up and catch that breath anymore. And so the other two who were hanging beside Jesus, they break their legs, they go to break Jesus' legs, but then they stop because they realize he's already dead. Well, to ensure that he really was dead without breaking his legs, they took a spear and they put it through his side and out flew blood and water. This let them know that Jesus was really dead. As this is taking place and Jesus 
yields his spirit. He says it's finished. He dies. An earthquake takes place, splitting the veil from top to bottom. Everyone around can now see what have we just done. This really is the Son of God. Do everyone take what they saw or heard and turn their lives over? And they're like, oh my gosh, we're going to get everything right. No, that would have been nice, but that's not what happened. In fact, after they take Jesus down off the cross, there was a rich man named Joseph. And he had a tomb not too far from where Jesus was crucified. And he asked Pilate if he can take Jesus' body and bury it in his new tomb. We can find this in John 19, 38. It says, After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as a custom of the Jews, is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews preparation day for the tomb was nearby. Now I want to show you a picture of the tomb where Jesus was. And this is absolutely amazing that they were able to still find it and everything. I'm going to post a link where you guys can go back and watch Rick Renner's full message on the tomb that Jesus was buried in. Um, but here's a picture that you guys can see right now of it. And then go back and listen to his message. He gives so much more detail um, than I ever could on this particular topic. But here's what is so neat, and I've learned so much in studying about the resurrection of Jesus myself recently, is in Matthew 27, 62, it tells us on the next day, which followed the day of Pentecost, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate saying, sir, we remember while he was still alive, how the deceiver said, after three days, I will rise. So they're now concerned about what Jesus said. They're like, yeah, he's a deceiver. Yet they believed that it's possible he could raise from the dead. So in verse 64, therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he is risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now here's what I did not know, and I find this so fascinating. I've always looked over the last part where it said that they sealed the stone. They made it secure. They made sure that there was no way that Jesus could come out of there. 
Now, in Rick Renner's teaching, he talks about how what happened in that moment was Jesus had already been placed in the tomb. We just read that. They wrapped him and they placed him in the tomb. They closed the stone over it. It's closed. But then they go to Pilate and they say, hey, we think it's possible that they could come steal him and lie to the people. We want to make sure that he's really dead and that there's no way that anyone can take him out of there. So in order for this to happen, they would have had to have had Pilate and all of these people come in, remove the stone, go into the tomb, verify, one, that Jesus was in the tomb, verify that he really was dead, and that's exactly what they did. They went in, they verified, yes, Jesus is in this tomb, this is Jesus, and he's not breathing, he is dead. Then, after they all agreed, they would come out of the tomb, roll the stone back, the ceiling part. They would have taken a string, went from end to end of the tomb, and sealed it with Pilate's seal. So if the seal was broken, they would have known the stone had been rolled away and someone came in and did something with Jesus. So not only that, they're like, well, that's good. You know, he's been legally verified that he's dead, that he's in the tomb. We've sealed it. So there's no way that he can get out without us knowing someone tampered with the seal. But we want guards too. We want people standing guard here. So Pilate lets them. He's like, here's your guards. He has them placed to make sure that no one can come in and steal the body of Jesus. Then here's the best part. In Matthew 28, verse 1, it tells us, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Again, there was another earthquake. For an angel of the Lord ascended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. This is great news for us because Jesus paid the ultimate price for you and I. He laid down his life. He took stripes on his back for our salvation. Not only did he die for our sins, but he rose again so we can spend eternity in heaven with him. That's how much God loves you. That's how much he cares about you. That's how much he values you you. So I want to ask you this morning, how much do you value God? Do you value the price that he paid for you and I? Do you value what he went through 
for your healing, for your prosperity, for your mental health, for your relationships, for every part of your life. Do you value what he did for you and I? What he said we are now capable of. If in the past you haven't valued, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. If you haven't asked Jesus into your heart, all you have to do is say, Lord, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Make me new in you. Forgive me, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are now part of the body of Christ. When you leave this life, you're going to spend eternity in heaven with the Father. You don't have to let sickness overtake you. You don't have to let depression become your way of living. God made a way of escape for you. No matter what your past looked like, God wants the best for you. If he didn't, he wouldn't have went through everything he went through for you. But you have to believe that inside of you. It has to be something you value, that you consider your treasure, that you get down on the inside of your heart so you speak out of your mouth words of life and not words of death. Speak blessing and not cursing over your life. So if you prayed that prayer with us, let us know. You can email morningcoffeewithjesus at hotmail.com. But we want to pray with you. We want to love on you, send you encouragement. We want you to know that God loves you. We love you, that you have a family in the body of Christ. Today, we want to take up communion. So we'll give you a few minutes to get your juice, cracker, or bread, and we're going to partake communion together. So I hope you have your bread, cracker, your juice ready because we are going to take communion together. We're going to read Mark 14, 22. It says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now before we do that, I want you to think about the price that Jesus paid. As you eat this, remembering Jesus' body, everything that he went through for you and I. And as you take this, if you have sickness in your body, receive your healing. If you need to take a moment to ask the Lord to forgive you of something that you've done, take that time right now. Do that. But remember what Jesus did for you. And let's partake. In verse 23, it tells us, Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The price that Jesus paid for us with his blood covers our sins, all of our iniquities, to where we are made forgiven. As you take this drink, value the price of Jesus' blood, that precious blood that He shed for you and I for our salvation. Let's drink. Lord, we thank you for your body, for your blood, 
for the sacrifice that you paid for each of us, Lord. We don't take it lightly, but we thank you, Father, for what you did for each of us, Lord. We thank you that we value what you did, Father. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Every time you get to a place to where you may start to devalue the price that God had paid for you, pull out the elements and remember the cross. Remember his resurrection and what he did for you to make you free to cover your sins to lead you into a place to where you don't have to live in any more pain from mental physical hurt on this earth accept the gift that god has given to you and rejoice because he is risen so if you are in your house, you can stand up, you can kneel on the ground, but we want you guys to sing praises and give glory and honor to God this morning. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow no other founts i know nothing but the blood of jesus what can wash away my sin Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow no other founts i know nothing but the blood of jesus oh precious is that flow that makes me white as snow no other founts i know nothing but the blood of jesus Nothing but the blood of Jesus.
Lord, we just thank you that your presence is filling the room, that we open ourselves up, Father, to receive your word. We praise you, we glorify you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you guys for watching. We love you, God loves you, and you're never too young or too old to fulfill the call. And we'll see you next week.